episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And I'm your host, Woody Overton. Today, we're going to be doing the next part in the Screwdriver Red series, and it's titled Justice for Caitlin. Before we start, I want to say stay tuned at the end of the show, and as always, I'm going to be giving some shout-outs to our fans and making some announcements about some exciting things we have coming up, and also we'll be doing a, a promo at the end of the announcements for a podcast called Genuine Chit Chat and the host Mike Burton. So y'all stay tuned for that and check it out at the end. Okay, so when I left you last, Mark Lewis had been arrested, charged first degree murder of Caitlin Adele. And approximately a month later, maybe a month and a week, I think it was the first week of March, we had a grand jury on Caitlin's case. In the grand jury, y'all, was a secret meeting of 12 people it's run by the district attorney, and the district attorney puts on evidence of what they have, and they let the jury decide what to come back and charge the person with. And so we did it, testified, been testified, basically to the same facts that y'all heard already. And the grand jury returned with an indictment of second-degree murder, which, y'all, that's a still mandatory life in prison for Mark Lewis if he gets convicted. Now... Death penalty, I think it's warranted in this case. Certainly I do. And I think probably every person that sat on that grand jury thought the same thing. But to be technically fair, it's probably a really hard one to do to get the death penalty in this case. Not because it's not a horrific crime, because it is. But all the evidence we had was what they call circumstantial evidence, right? We didn't have anybody to put Mark Lewis and Caitlin together that day physically that saw them together. We didn't physically for sure have the positive crime scene. I mean, everything we have is circumstantial, but it was good circumstantial. So today we're going to talk about the time from 
when Mark Lewis was locked up, go into the trial and see how far we can get. The first thing I would like to talk about is Caitlin Adele. And y'all, she was 13 years old and lived with her mom and just everybody loved her. Her funeral was held that week after she was found in the bayou and it was a sea of pink. Everybody had pink on, pink ribbons, pink shirts. Miss Danette, the mom said, one little girl came up to her at the wake and handed her a pink softball that was signed by all the players. And she thought it was one of Caitlin's teammates on the French settlement team. But later on, when she got home, she realized that was a softball from a whole nother town. It's called Springfield, Louisiana. That was from their softball team. And it's really reached out and touched people. The deafest sweet baby girl. And I told you my own daughter was the same age and her name was Kate Lee. Yeah. So it was kind of. I'd have worked a lot of homicides and stuff, but this one's just always been tough. And the mom is such a sweet lady, Miss Danette. I think the overwhelming support from the community, it just came out and just absolutely supported Miss Danette, Adele, and the family members in their time of grief. And the, the whole community came together. It's such a testimony to the people down here, not only in South Louisiana, but from all over. I mean, she had people from all over the world sending her stuff and all, certainly all over the United States. But it laid Caitlin to rest and it didn't stop there. Somebody put together a bass tournament. I don't remember who it was, but they put together a bass tournament and it raised like eight grand, I think, for Caitlin's funeral expenses. If you don't know what a bass tournament is, you live outside the country. It's a tournament, a fishing tournament, and it's a certain type of fish they fish for each boat usually has two people in it and they charge you an admission fee per head and whoever has the most weight of fish at the end of the tournament whether it's one day or two day they win the prize money at the end but just that tournament alone raised a lot of money and then in may four days or three or four days before what would have been caitlin's 14th birthday they put on a huge benefit for at a place called the Moonlight Inn. And the Moonlight Inn is right in the heart of the French settlement country, if you will. It's a mainstay, long-term running. I call them swamp bars, but everybody knows about the Moonlight. And there have been a lot of famous people that have played there over the years. And it's a local watering hole. And man, the owner... And then really put it out. And he had all these small businesses came out and donated stuff. There was food. There was jambalaya, spaghetti, hamburgers, hot dogs, snacks, cakes, whatever. I think they said they sold like, I don't know, three or four hundred plates of jambalaya. And they sold all the food, like 250 spaghetti boxes and one lady that had donated a cake, they had an auction also, and one lady donated a cake, her coconut cake sold for $100. Another restaurant, I think it's closed now, Dutch's Seafood, they had some $50 gift certificates they donated, and they sold for like 100 bucks each. So people were paying way above and beyond just because they could. Budweiser sponsored it, Miller Lite sponsored it, they had Budweiser coolers that were going for 500 bucks at the auction and just can't really say enough about what the people did to support Caitlin. And so what did Miss Danette do? This is the lady who lost her only child. And I just, I'm a father of four, man, and I can't even fathom it, right? And the, she lost her only child in her, the most horrific way possible and goes to show her character 
What does she do? She takes that money from the fundraiser and establishes a scholarship in Caitlin's name to be given away to two French Settlement High School seniors, one that's shown the most improvement in basketball and one that's shown the most improvement in softball when they graduate. And Ms. Danette said, I'm going to make sure I'm part of the process. And I, I don't want them to give it to the best player. I want them to give it to the most improved player because Caitlin wasn't the best player, but she worked hard every day to be better and better at it. And she loved softball and basketball. And Ms. Danette said she wanted the scholarship to go on year after year. And it was going to be funded by the recurring bass tournaments and benefits that are put on by the Moonlight and them every year for Sweet little Caitlin. So that's to the character of Miss Danette. God bless her. Be able to step up and turn the tragedy into a blessing for other people's lives for years and years to come. Meanwhile, let's get back to the case. Okay. So Lewis is locked up. What happens detective wise? Well, I told you we did the search warrant on his residence and took his computer. So it's being gone through forensically, right? And the Phone records are being looked at on Caitlin's end, and the truck is being processed. We know they've found some blood and some blonde hairs in the truck, but that has to be identified by DNA. And I believe to help expedite the process, part of it was actually sent out to a private lab because the state police were just so backed up with the DNA. And other witnesses are coming forward and giving statements about Lewis and pretty much his depravity, what a piece of shit he was. And I'll go into that in a little while when we're talking about the trial. So the case proceeds and you have your usual motions and just typical bullshit. But the one thing I I won't forget about it is every time there was a hearing about Caitlin's case, that courtroom was flooded with pink. The people showed up justice for Caitlin shirts and shirts with Caitlin's face on it and Everybody showed up and packed the house to support Miss Danette. And that son of a bitch walked in. And for those hearings, he it's not like trial where you get to wear civilian clothing and you're not chained up. He walked in chained up like the little bitch that he is. And he would just walk in and smile at all the people in pink, right? He's a sick fuck. And the news media would catch him coming and going from court and ask him, Mark Lewis, did you do it? No, I didn't do it, but God bless y'all and have a great day. That kind of shit, smiling at the camera. He's hamming it up and it just burned my ass, man. He just played it. I mean, he loved it. It was like he got off on it every time when he was in the spotlight. So anyway, time progresses. The investigation progresses and it comes time to prepare for trial. It was more than a year later. I had already gone to the Louisiana State Police as a criminal investigator to, and I had left the sheriff's office and transferred to the Louisiana State Police as a criminal investigator to out of headquarters in Baton Rouge, which wasn't that far away. But I got called in by Charlotte Abair. You've heard me talk about her many times. She was absolutely top notch. And Scott Perlew, who's a district attorney, Scott Perlew's go to for the biggest cases at the time. And now Charlotte has since gone on to be a judge for the 21st Judicial. Anyway, she calls me in and it's like right before trial. We're sitting there in a little office and she had the pictures that I had taken of Lewis in the cell of his scratches. And she said, Woody, what do these look like to you? And I looked at him again and remember in earlier episodes, I told y'all that I knew they weren't 
defensive scratches. I've seen it too many times. They weren't gouges. They were almost like little dotted bumps, but significant. But it wasn't a continuous slash or tearing of the skin. It was it was like lines. And I told her, I said, Charlotte, I said, Shetty, you know what? I remember seeing that night and seeing him wiping the blood in a tissue and looking at the scratches and looking at them when I took the photographs of them. And I had him naked in the cell and he even had a couple on his leg that weren't as prominent as those. She said, yeah, here's a picture. I said, yeah. I said, I don't know. I said, I know it's not Caitlin's fingernails. She said, no, it's not. She said, but look at this. And she had pictures of where Caitlin's body had been found in that bayou in Ascension Parish. But it was daylight photographs. And remember, when I went out there that night, it was already dark when they were pulling Caitlin from the water. But I told you about the thick undergrowth in the trees. I mean, it was a perfect spot, the little bitch, to dispose of a body, if you will, because he's in a panic. Like I say, he ran like a little bitch, and then he acted like a little bitch. And if he didn't think it through, all he sees is some thick bushes that he can go into and get cover to dump Caitlin's body. Well, the pictures that Charlotte had of that area... Fuck, it's a briar patch. Briars are bushes that have thousands and thousands of small thorns. But she showed me that. I, was like, I said, holy shit, Charlotte. I said, I should have known. I should have fucking known. Because uh, I'm a big hunter and I'm a big fisherman. And I, I pick dewberries. If y'all know what those are in South Louisiana. And during the springtime, they come up. It's a berry, but they grow in the briar patch. And that's what it was. Fuck, he, you know, I've been scratched a thousand times like that. And I don't know why to this day I didn't catch it. But it really wouldn't have mattered, I don't guess. But I should have called it. But she said, what he look? And I was like, fuck, that's it. I said, it's a briar patch. And she said, that's right. She said, he got those scratches when he hurried up and just plunged into those bushes for concealment and dumped her body. And I was like, you're right. I agree with you a thousand percent. So we go to trial and trial began that Monday and they have what they call voir dire. And it's basically just jury selection. I think they had to run what we call three separate panels to get the members for the jury. And a panel, y'all, there's 14 seats in the jury box, and 12 for the regular jurors and two for alternates. So they would put 14 people who had been subpoenaed to possibly be a juror in Caitlin's trial. And so the courtroom's full of people, and the judge introduced himself, and I always went to voir dire, but I was sitting over on the side listening. Anyway, so the judge comes, introduces, explains the process, and they bring the first 14 people in, and they ask them questions, they being Charlotte Hebert and McKee was the defense attorney's name. And they'll ask him questions about this and that. And y'all been convicted of a crime or do you have any family members have been convicted of a crime? Then they'll read the witness list or the potential witness list. Do you know y'all know any of these people? And the prosecution gets so many strikes to cancel out jurors and the defense gets so many strikes and then the judge can kick out anybody he wants, right? So they would go through this process and question every potential juror until that panel's over. Let's say they strike six off the first panel. So there's eight left. And then the next panel fills in a 14. Then those eight are already jurors, right? Been selected the first eight. So they go until all the spots are filled. And I think it went through three times, three rounds or panels, and they seated the jury. And it was eight women and four men. And the two alternates, one was a man and one was a woman. Now, trial began 
And of course, Charlotte gave her an opening statement and basically to sum it up, she said, what a piece of shit Mark Lewis is. And, but of course, now she can't say anything about his past conviction, but that they dropped it to attempted simple kidnapping, but it should have been aggravated kidnapping and the whole thing could have been avoided. But she can't say anything about that, but she goes on to lay out her case. Not in detail, but saying that the evidence will prove that Mark Lewis killed Caitlin. And then the defense attorney gets up and says, oh, this is all going to be circumstantial evidence. And you have to find him beyond a reasonable doubt. You can't do that because nobody can put Caitlin together with Mark Lewis that day, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 whatever. So then we're sequestered. And by we, I mean Ben Ballard, myself. Louisiana State Police people that are going to testify and all the witnesses and sequestered is we're locked out of the courtroom. Um, but so you can't hear other people's testimony or the questions on redirect from the defense. And so you can't change your testimony. It's only fair enough. Doesn't matter. The statements don't change. I think probably Miss Danette went first and established that Caitlin was her daughter and how tight they were and how Caitlin never went without having her cell phone on and how she spoke to Caitlin when she got off the school bus that day. And I think the probably the school bus driver went next and the school bus driver said, yes, they dropped Caitlin off at her house at three o'clock that day. And then one of Caitlin's little friends, I think it's her best friend. I think her last name was Bourgeois testified that she had a call from Caitlin like just right after three o'clock. I mean, like soon as she got home, evidently, and as she told Caitlin, she'd have to call her back. And she called Caitlin back after 4 p.m. and Caitlin didn't answer. The neighbor who went in the residence and saw Caitlin's book bag on the bed testified. And Charlotte's just basically laying out her case. And it went 26 witnesses, I think, in all that she did in just a couple of days. And the case was laid out like this. Charlotte establishes that Caitlin makes it home through the cell phone records and the bus driver saying she dropped her off. Miss Danette talking to her while she's at home. The friend talking to her and saying she'll have to call her back. And then a representative from ETEL, which is the local cable television company, but they also do home phone service like for dirt cheap. You know, if you get a monthly package for cable service, you get a home phone for $9.99 a month, something like that. Caitlin's last incoming call that was answered on her cell phone came from wait for it Mark Lewis's residence at 3.06 p.m. She was never heard from again. She never answered her cell phone again. Let's say that. And then we testified. Ben and I testified. And I basically I testified the same thing that I've told y'all already that uh, I was called out by Ben and because the net got home and she called 911 and the uniform guy called Ben and Ben called me and we went through the process about how we interviewed him in his house washing and dryer were going he had fresh scratches on his face he takes the comforter out of the dryer and goes and puts it on the bed as I had been go outside and ask the wife did he ever do the laundry and would there be any reason for him to do the laundry and she said no and come back and ask him and he says yeah he does the laundry all the time now you have to remember also we had the knowledge from ben ballard that craig simino had called in and gave a statement about Mark Lewis coming to his house 
and all that transpired after that. So including him being Lewis, asking Seminole to alibi him for about 4.30 p.m. that afternoon that Caitlin went missing. Ben testifies to his, I testify to mine. And we build it up all the way up until the arrest and the photograph you know, of the scratches that I did. Charlotte had them blown up and so the jury could see it and ask me and I answered. And then trial progresses. Uh, the defense attorney, please fucking dumbass i mean he just tried to naturally say that we had tunnel vision or i had tunnel vision and i never let the investigation go anywhere else besides mark lewis and i said you're absolutely right i said i never got off mark lewis and he said why not and i said because the evidence pointed to him and i said i had to work this case as any case to conclusion i said i'm not telling you if somebody else had come up and another angle that it wouldn't have been worked i said but i'm telling you your boy showed up with scratches on his face and he lied about being at work and he lied about going to visit his mama in the hospital and he lied and tried to get craig Seminole to lie to him to alibi him out every time i'd say he i would point and Mark Lewis, and I kept pointing at him. He just turned beat fucking red. And I would do that, y'all. I would, uh, courtroom tricks. I, I would never look the defense attorney in the face. Every time I'm answering a question, I'm turning to my left and looking at the jury in the eyes and pointing at Mark Lewis saying he lied and he asked for an alibi for the time that Caitlin was murdered or disappeared. And he is the one with the fresh scratches on his face. Et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty powerful stuff. And I learned that from Kearney Foster. It was probably the most brilliant detective mind you ever of all times. But I watched him in another murder trial when I was a rookie detective do that. And it's very effective and did it to the point where Lewis actually, I kept pointing at him. Lewis actually reached up and grabbed McKee's sleeve and said, make him stop pointing at me. <laughs> like, fuck you, Lewis. Of course, I couldn't say that. And so I testified what I had to, and McKee got off of me pretty quick because he realized, hey, I'm not going to shake this guy up. I'm not going to rattle him, and I'm doing more harm here than good because he's up here pointing to my guy, driving home all the bad points about him. So I was pretty much quickly dismissed. Charlotte might have asked me a follow-up question, too. I don't remember, but it, it wasn't important. Or she, I mean, just would have been because she was sharp. If there was anything McKee might have planted in the juror's mind, she cleared it up. So I'm dismissed, which means I can come back in and sit for the rest of the trial, right? Which I always do. Uh, during my testimony, I explained about getting the search warrant for Lewis's truck and having it sent to the crime lab and doing the search warrant on the residence computer and all that stuff. So the Louisiana State Police crime lab people start to testify assistant coroner from ascension parish to i think actually testified first and she testified that caitlin was strangled and that she was found with her clothes on all of her clothes on including two jackets but her pants were unzipped then the crime lab texts the main one being patrick lane and he's an old school veteran and patrick i hope one day you get to hear my episodes because i have several that include you in it but Patrick was the chief examiner of firearms and all the different things. I mean, he's just a shit. He's the CSI guy. If you ever watch those shows, which I don't, but whoever leads the CSI people, Patrick Lane's the one. I know he had to be the most senior lab technician for Louisiana State Police. So Patrick Lane gets up there and McKee, the defense attorney, starts to go at him and basically talking about the hairs and the blood drops that were found in the backseat of Lewis's truck. And he is trying to discredit Patrick 
And Patrick's like, uh, you want me to explain that to you? And the dumbass defense attorney says, uh, I don't know, do I? And Patrick said, well, let me explain it to you. And then he, he explained that the blood and the hair were found down low on the seat. And it's his experience that was consistent with the body being dragged from the vehicle. And so it just shut McKee up, right? And I don't know, y'all, let me tell you about the blood real quick. The reason there would have been blood if someone's choked to death, when you crush the neck like that, you actually have blood vessels inside of your neck that are crushed. And I've seen it several times that blood actually comes in the forms of almost spittle that lasts when they're spitting out, choking up, the blood comes out. So that's where that came from. And the hairs, obviously, Caitlin had, she didn't have short hair. And I think he being shitbag Lewis had her and choked. You know, when you grab somebody like that, you're not going to take your time to move the hair out of the way. So I think he had his hands around her neck and choking her with the, with the hairs in his hands. So that's explained. And but then there's other things that are added. His computer comes back. The computer expert testifies that, first of all, somebody at the Lewis residence viewed Caitlin Adele's MySpace profile the night before she was kidnapped and murdered. They also testified, the computer expert testified that Lewis was watching pornography all day long, pretty much from the computer. I mean, there was nobody else home. The The wife was at work and the stepson was in school. That's proven. And so it had to be him, right? Plus, we had the neighbor testify that Lewis's truck was there all day up until 2 p.m., sometimes shortly after 2 p.m. when she left to go wherever she noticed it was there. So he's there pretty much all day beating off to porn. We know he checked out her MySpace the night before and whether that fantasy covered over to the next day. Uh, and his employer from the tow truck company takes a stand and testifies that Lewis called in that morning and said he wasn't coming to work. And no, he was not at work and did not get scratches from a tow truck hitting him in the face. Fucking lame excuse, right? And he did not get in a fight that day or the day before at work. And the last time he was there, he had no scratches. It's just Charlotte picking apart everything that Lewis could say or everything that he did say and proving him for the piece of shit liar that he is. She put on, she being Charlotte, put on the canine handler that came in. Remember I told you about the dog that is trained to smell decomposing flesh. And that man came in and testified that the canine alerted on the washer and dryer and on the guest bedroom area. Boom. And he explained in detail about how the dogs are only trained to smell decaying flesh and how instantly that whatever the chemical is swaps over i'm no scientist but you get the gist of it right you kill somebody as soon as you kill them dogs are trained to pick up whatever scent it is that, that gives off so he testifies then charlotte puts on lewis's stepson the boy's name was michael i think it was his stepson and he testifies that he did not look at caitlin's myspace the night before so again that shows uh that it had to be Lewis, right? And he testified that Lewis did not have scratches on his face. He saw him that morning before he went to school. And then Mark Lewis did not have scratches on his face before he left. So there was another guy. What was his name? There's another guy that, that Lewis worked with a couple years before. 
at a grocery store when Caitlin was 11 years old. And he went to a housewarming party at Lewis's house, the trailer that we did the search warrant on. And the dog alerted in. But after Caitlin was found murdered and Lewis was charged, this guy came forward and gave a sworn statement that when he went over to the housewarming party that he saw Caitlin and Mark was standing next to him. Mark Lewis was. And Mark said that he had looked up Caitlin's shorts when she was over one day and that he wanted to hit that, hit that meaning he wanted to have sex with her. Fuck, she was 11 years old, man. And when a question by the defense attorney, the guy says that, hey, you know, I just, fuck, I didn't know. I thought maybe he was clowning around or something. I didn't know, but I thought it was important that I came forward and said that after I knew that he had been arrested for her murder. I mean, fuck. So that was another key piece of evidence. And I don't think I'm leaving anything out, y'all. Well, let me do this. Charlotte put on Mark Lewis's daughter. And this is, remember, now when his daughters would come over to play, Caitlin came over every time. And the daughter testified that Caitlin always rode in the front seat, that she never saw her in the back seat of Lewis's truck. Ever. I think that's because as part of Lewis's fantasy and, and grooming over the two years before he killed her. I mean, he's looking at her panties through her shorts on the couch, telling his friends then he wants to hit that. And what does he do for the next two years? I mean, he wants her over there all the time so he can continue his fantasy and try to groom and build up to his day, right, of hitting that. And when the daughter testifies that she never, ever sat in the back seat of the truck, she being Caitlin, then that absolutely takes away any reason for there to be Caitlin's DNA evidence and the uh, blood and hair low down in the backseat of the truck. And the little girl did well in the stand until Charlotte asked her to point out her dad in the courtroom. The little girl pointed at him and she started crying. So it pretty much wrapped it up. And I mean, there's 26 witnesses, y'all. I know I'm leaving something out, but you get the gist of the case and how it was handled. And in the closing arguments, the defense attorney's whole deal was that the cops got it wrong. They got tunnel vision. They never looked at anybody else. It was circumstantial. We couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Nobody can put Lewis and her together. And you know, just basically saying we got it all wrong and that he said that anybody would have got up there and testified against Mark Lewis just because he seemed like such an evil guy because he was accused of killing a little girl. Right. And it's like, oh, fuck you. That's weak. I guess his attempt to cover up the guy who works at a supermarket being at Mark Lewis's housewarming party and him saying he looked up her shorts, the fucking pervert in the, Oh, you know what? Craig Semino, y'all know about him from the previous episodes, key witness. He testified to everything we talked about before. And anyway, that's, that's it. So the defense attorney says, we got it wrong. Then Charlotte closes in. And what I won't forget from her closing is she basically sums everything up and she ends up with this. You go back and you find him guilty of murder and you come out and you give the guilty verdict. Guess what? She turned and she pointed to Mark Lewis. She said, he won't be surprised. He already knows he's the murderer. And that was pretty powerful shit. And Charlotte was good, right? So they take him out, the jury, and... Well, the judge gives instructions on what you can find guilty of, what have you, what not. And the jury goes out to do the vote 
And I'm going to stop it right there because I have some very, very important material to add in at this point before the jury returns with their verdict next week. And it's a way too long to go into in this episode. But I do believe I'll be concluding the Screwdriver Red series next week. But it's very important that you tune in. There's more murder and I believe more victimization by Mark Lewis that's not even known yet and wouldn't be known until many, 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 many years later after the trial. So y'all stay tuned and it's important. It's a hard story to tell. The next one section is going to be pretty emotional, but you won't regret it. Okay. So that's it. Tune in next week for the conclusion of the Screwdriver Red series. And I'm your host, Woody Overton. And don't let me catch you down on murder by you. All right, everybody, I told you at the beginning of the show, stay tuned. We're going to do some shout outs and talking and stuff and thank yous and what have you. So real life, real crime, the podcast, just over three months old. And this morning we passed 83,000 downloads. And last night, our private Facebook group that's titled Real Life, Real Crime, Friends, Fans, and Crew passed 1,000 members. Unbelievable, y'all. And if you're not a member of that page, you need to check it out. We have three Facebook pages. We have the one that's open to the general public, and that's just a Real Life, Real Crime fan page and then we have the one i'm telling you about that passed a thousand members you have to actually ask to join that group you have to be approved and that's because my dream team of moderators they're awesome and one day i'm special just on them but they are from all over the world and they have to screen everybody that wants to join the private group because you get a lot of trolls and you get some shitheads that want to start trouble whatever and in the group we don't discuss politics or religion there's no hate speech or anything like that it's strictly about real life real crime and there's a lot of bonus material in the episodes and a lot of contest and just so awesome all the fans from around the world sharing their thoughts and about different things shit it's just a plethora of information and fun i mean i'm on it like 1400 times a day it seems like but i was looking at the stats last night when we hit a thousand And we had almost 13,000 posts and clicks and likes and shares in the last 29 days. Over 13,000 interactions. And that's a lot. If you're not a member, check it out. I mean, it's for your benefit. I don't get paid for you being in the group or anything like that. But I think if you like real life, real crime, then you'd be remiss to not check it out. We have one Dream Team moderator who we're just going to call her a researcher, Karen Ortolano, who comes up with shit that you wouldn't believe. Uh, she's found a lot of articles on our episodes, which we're going to be posting to our regular website soon. And I mean, she's found articles on me from my career back way back when that I didn't even know existed. Just a lot, a lot of super cool stuff. And Dream Team Moderators, I love y'all. Appreciate you. You know who you are. And we're rocking it. And we're killing it. And then our third Facebook page is Real Life, Real Crime. Lanyap, it's a Cajun word for something extra free or bonus. On the Laniat page, it was started by my wife, Cindy, and it's a way for fans to interact about things that they like. 
hobbies or whatever it is they growing in their garden or what have you and i've requested to exchange beers and hot sauces and stuff with different fans and anthony parliament sent me a hell of a box of beers of flavors you knew couldn't dream of and we did a video on that and it's on that page and then the other day i got or cindy and i got in a package from cassie wallace who's from bowling green kentucky and she sent us some most delicious Kringle, it's not a cake. I don't know which is that. I like a huge pastry thing. There's two of them. Then she sent me a like four different bottles of Bloody Mary mix and a, and a thing of hot sauce. So Cassie, I appreciate that. And then that video is there. And we have another Dream Team moderator post on there in the evening times when he's cooking or doing his garden. Ryan Horan, my buddy, and Jenny White, whose husband does the most outstanding coins in the world. I'm pretty sure Laniat was created the page after you sent us the packages of coins. But Jenny White has sent us two packages and one with some coins. And then she sent one to my wife with a keychain on it. Anyway, those videos, if they're not on the Laniat page, then go to our YouTube channel. It's Real Life, Real Crime Podcast. And you have to go to the little search engine box thingy whatever they call it on youtube and you type in real life real crime podcast and it'll bring you to our page and it has every one of our episodes every one of our bonus episodes it has the, the videos i'm telling you about and i'll have more videos that we're going to be uploading from the lanyard page on it and so y'all go to youtube and subscribe okay and just check us out now patron members well you know it's awesome y'all the patron is a way to help monetize real life real crime the podcast and I know we're not, we're not profitable by any stretch means of the matter. And, and it takes a lot of time and effort to do this, but we do it because we love it. But patron is a way for members to support us financially by pledging X amount and whatever amount they pledge, they get a certain gift tier or, or gifts or bonus materials, what have you from real life, real crime and me. And so I want to take a minute to talk about our latest couple patrons. Okay. One is Maureen. I don't know what your last name is, Maureen, M-A-U-R-E-E-N. And Maureen has already messaged me since she became a patron member about an idea for as to who to have for a guest on the show. And Maureen, we're absolutely going to do that. I've talked to that person today and she's down with it. Maureen, thank you for being a patron member. We love you. Thank you for your support. It's awesome and it really helps out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then we have Miss Meg. And the last name is M-I-H-A-L-Y. I said Mahaley. Uh, Meg Mahaley, join Meg. We really appreciate you. I love you. And thank you for supporting the show. It's huge. And don't forget to use y'all's hotline numbers where you can call in anytime and say anything you want or ask any question you want, et cetera. And when I get enough, I do hotline episodes and they've been a huge success in the past. I'm talking about how we had thousands of downloads instantly off of them. So people like it, y'all. But the patron members, if you don't want to use your voice, you hear me say this every week, but I'm going to say it again. You wouldn't believe how many people don't want to hear their own voice, right? So if you don't want to use your own voice, text me your message and I'll read it on the show. It's a fun thing, y'all, and we enjoy it. So thank you, Meg. Now, this next two, John Laudermilt and then Tanya Hano, that's H-A-N-O. These two I worked with. Now, you heard me in a couple episodes talk about John Laudermilt, especially if you're a patron member, because uh, I think most of John's 
episodes were locked up in the patron vault. And John was my supervisor in uniform patrol at the sheriff's office. And we were peas in the pot, right? We even share the same date of birth, February 5th. And although I won't say who's older and who's younger, John, like personalities and he would go on into the detectives and then I went into the detectives and we were also on the special response team or a SWAT team together. John's a super class A guy. He was a great law enforcement officer. He's out of law enforcement now also. He's no longer in it, but great guy. And he will be on our show in the immediate future. Love you, buddy. All right, Tanya Hano, my one of my first dispatchers I ever had in law enforcement and a lifelong, it seems like, I say lifelong, 20-year-long friend now. Uh, Tanya was super duper, just absolute best dispatcher a person could ask for. She knew our personalities. She knew if sugar turned to shit, she knew it. I mean, if she knew she didn't hear from me in a couple minutes or she ever called me and I was out on a call and I didn't answer, she needed to send the posse, right? Because it was going down. Anyway, we we hung out a lot in our off time. And, and her sister and brother-in-law were longtime dear friends of mine. I hadn't seen them in a long time. But Tanya, you tell Tony and Kim hello. And I love you, sweetie. And we're if you can come on the show, you got to come on as a guest. And we'll talk about some of the funny shit, right? Like the... <laughs> the patron episode we just locked up this week, Tanya is responsible. One of the two dispatchers responsible for sending me to that call. And it's really, really fucking funny. If you get a chance, listen to it. If you're not a patron member, you want to check it out. It's rlrcpodcast.com and check out the tiers and join up. And thank you, Tanya. We love you so much. And y'all, if you're not a patron member, I don't care. I love each and every one of you. I appreciate you. There's a reason we are breaking records and downloads for this short of a time. And that's because all of y'all are liking and sharing and subscribing. I can't ask for more than that, right? I mean, I get messages from people all over the world that just make my day. Little me, right? Who would have known? Who could have guessed, other than my wife, who could have guessed that me telling stories would have been such a hit and I'm humbled by it, but I'm also having the time of my life. And so if you would just tell two other people that you know about real life, real crime, if you enjoy it or leave us a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to it. I mean, we're on every platform. Okay. There, I don't think there's a, anything out there that we're not on uh, Stitcher and whatever. I don't know all of them. Real life, real crime, wherever you listen to it, leave us a review and I appreciate you. If y'all could do that and subscribe and just share it so we can continue to grow. And I love each and every one of you and I appreciate it. And we are on Instagram and we are on Twitter and I told you we're on YouTube and three times on Facebook. And there's some other platforms that the dream team we're looking at. And it's just, we're growing leaps and bounds. And I love each and every one of you. And I tell you what, if you're not a member of the Facebook group, you better do it before Thursday because this is the week we're rolling out to Crime Con in New Orleans, which is right down the street from me, practically 35, 40 minutes away. And we're going to meet on Thursday night. And I don't imagine we'll stop until Sunday when we come home with hangovers. But so every night we're going to go live to our Facebook pages and I'm going to do a live polygraph and we're going to do some live stuff from the meet and greets. And it's going to be pretty 
stupid. There's no telling what's going to happen, but it, I promise you this, that it'll be unedited and live, raw and uncensored, just like real life, real crime, the podcast. So y'all check that out and join up and share it. And I can, t- I don't know exactly the hours that the live broadcast will be going on, but I can tell you they're going to be in the evening times. When by evening, I mean after six o'clock PM. So be on the lookout for that. And when we get back from CrimeCon, we have a, we'll have a whole new platform. We have new equipment. We have people that are helping us with the audio and video productions and to make it more consistent and better. So that is coming. Even though we have new equipment, we're still learning it. We promise you we're going to get better each and every episode. And I think we've upheld that promise so far. We're not perfect. We never will be in my mind, but we're working on it. I promise you we'll be better. And real quick. I got to say something about Tyler Allen. Allen, it's A-L-L-E-N in Minds of Madness. We did a promo for them last week. His show is just freaking amazing. And he's won all kinds of awards in Canada. But you know what? He is a super dude. He is one of the ones that reached out to actually help us with the audio portions of real life, real crime. So you can't say enough about a class act. This this guy's at the top of the game. He's like number one in Canada and or at least, I mean, one podcast of the year award up there and all that stuff and best voice and all that. And and he wants to to help us. I mean, he didn't have to do that. So Tyler, we appreciate you and back your wife. That's Tyler Allen with Minds of Madness. And I'm going to end today's episode finally, y'all, telling you about Mike Burton and genuine chit chat. Now, Mike wanted to cross promo with us and we absolutely love it. He's not in true crime per se. He just interviews people from all different walks of life, from the CEO to whomever. It's interesting and really it's about the art of conversation. He does a real good job with it and he's asked me to be a guest on the show and I think that'll air sometime in September. So, Mike burden really appreciate you and we're going to play his promo now so y'all give him a look or a listen i guess you would say so we're gonna play the promo now hi i'm mike from the genuine chit chat podcast where we have honest conversations with interesting people i speak to a wide variety of guests including ceos of businesses psychologists authors musicians travelers people suffering with physical and mental illnesses and everyone in between where we speak about a large variety of topics, including music and movies and pop culture, but also some more controversial topics, including drug reform, political correctness, and many more. No subject is off limits. You can find us in all the usual podcast places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as on YouTube. And you can follow us in all the usual social media places. And to be clear, I don't expect everyone listening to enjoy every episode of my show. What I do think is that due to the wide variety of guests and topics, that there'll be at least one episode that each person listening will enjoy so if you still appreciate the art of conversation and want to hear honest conversations with interesting people then be sure to check out genuine chit chat in all the usual places okay y'all it's mike burden with genuine chit chat the podcast cool dude when you go check him out let him know that real life real crime the podcast and woody overton sent you all right i love y'all all love you all y'all and i'm saying a goodbye for today tune in next week you got to hear this conclusion it's going to blow your mind and tune in next week and i'm woody overton your host of real life real crime the podcast don't let me catch you down on murder 
by you. Me, me.